All right, Coffee and Theology, Wednesday, March 30th, and it's 8.08, just like it always is. The recording always gets started right at 8.08. That's got to mean something. Um, it's good to be in this present space with everybody. I am doing some digging around authentic, um, authentic communicating and interacting and having um, honest, transparent interactions and kind of digging into that space um, with IFS. As many of you know, I dip in and out of internal family systems um, as well as Bowen family systems theory. And both of them connect and are very different all at the same time. While IFS is kind of this emerging, it's been around for a number of years, but it's really popular in the last couple of years. And it's emerging as a personal um, therapy that kind of combines all these separate modalities into one and makes it very user-friendly and personal for people. If you're interested in, in um, getting your feet wet in IFS, I would encourage you to do so. It's a, it really puts, it kind of takes all the things, combines it and makes it totally accessible for the individual and for the personal and to in our interactions in our own life to see ourselves as many parts and to not um, grieve ourselves or shock ourselves by the many parts of ourselves that we actually have but to rather welcome them and to be in relationship with the many parts of ourselves not that I'm suggesting that we have multiple personalities um, in the way that we would often pathologize that kind of experience. But I am saying that we have many parts of ourselves and we see this in the dissertations uh, for Paul and, and in the scripture. We know that there is a part of ourselves that desires to do right and another part of ourselves that wants to go, uh, you know, I don't know what the, the cliche is. There's a few things coming to mind that would be inappropriate to say on this podcast. <laughs> So anyway, we have all these parts that we carry around with us um, throughout a given day. And I just want to say that to you and all of your parts, you are welcome here. You are welcome into this space. And all of the parts that doubt and question and believe and are angry and are sad and are glad, to you I say you are welcome in this space all of the parts of you. And so in authentic relating, we get to see who we get to be together in this moment in time. So coffee and theology is intended to be a conversation. It's intended to be a collaboration. It is intended to be a, a space where people can ask hard questions and take us off on tangents. There are no rabbit trails in coffee and theology. They all belong. And so I would invite you to see how present you can be in this moment. See how attuned you can get your attention in this moment. You came here to this space because you want something. And that's perfectly okay. It is perfectly okay. We are a needy people. And the more comfortable we can get with our need for love, connection, and truth, 
the more comfortable and grounded we can be in our bodies, the more we can be the expression of ourselves and the fullness of ourselves in the space that we have to take up in life for these number of years that we have. This is our turn at life. This is our turn. This is our time. So I bid you come, come to this table today. Come to this space and let us make something beautiful together. Let us co-create this hour together in a way that would be generative and healing for all of us. We are in week five of Lent, and sometimes I go back to the scriptures that are uh, um, prescribed to us for Lent. And today, I did not um, look at what the end of the story is. We're going to jump from Luke 22. Luke 22, 14 through 23. I'm going to see where this takes us. And we have a beautiful home in the life and the love of Jesus. We have a beautiful place to connect to, a place to ground ourselves. And... Let's see, Luke 22. This is the Lent, the Lenten reading for week number five in our God is Still With Us illustrated uh, devotional. And I wanted to remind you about it today, that that exists for you to take some space. All right. When the hour had come, He took his place at the table. I like that. When the hour had come, he took his place at the table. Some versions said when the hour had come, he sat down. We're talking about Jesus, of course. And the 12 disciples with him or the 12 apostles with him. Yeah. When the hour had come, he took his place at the table. When the hour had come, he sat down. Verse 15, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17, then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So there we go, a second time right there in that little short text that we see the phrase kingdom of God. And this idea of until, until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. And wow, let's see, that's 19. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20, likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. <laughs> and truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they begin to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Yeah. There's not, there's a lot in that. That should feed us for an hour. There's a lot in that. I want to read just a few things of this that this writer says about this text to be human is to carry each other through when we are weak or injured we lean on each other when we fall another helps us up however loudly we might announce our independence or denounce our mutual need we are each other's keepers we do not make it through our lives even our days solely on our own strength we could not. This carrying has its limits, of course. The weight has to shift once in a while. The same people can't do the carrying all the time. We take turns. It is exhausting. It wears us all out. And it is what makes our lives bearable. In my role as pastor, this, this writer says, I sat with a woman to plan her mother's funeral. Her mother had been a matriarch of the church, beloved and respected by everyone. The whole community was reeling from this death. We'd talked about songs and scriptures and stories and pictures, and now we were on to the who's going to do what part of the conversation. When I asked about ushers, she said, I'd really love it if Steve could be an usher, but do you think it would be too much to ask him? Steve had been an usher at the church for many years, and it's not a difficult job. What would have made it too much is that the week before the woman's mother passed away, Steve's mother had also died, also a matriarch of the church, also beloved and respected by everyone. Part of the reason this whole community was reeling from this second death is that it was already so saddened by the first to return to the sanctuary to be part of the mourning for his good friend's mother a week after he was there mourning the loss of his own might have been too much, she thought. But deep down, she knew it wasn't. If she'd really thought that, she wouldn't have suggested Steve. I asked him and included the caveat about it possibly being too much, but deep down, I knew it wasn't. If I'd really thought that, I wouldn't have asked him. And he said, of course I will do that. I will be honored 
to do that. Because this is what it is to be human. We carry each other through. We recognize each other's grief. We name our own needs. We bring it all together. We witness and name the unbearable burdens each of us is asked to shoulder. And we find loud and subtle ways to say, you are not alone in this. At his final Passover, Jesus is carrying the weight of knowing he will soon be put to death. The weight of wanting a way out, but knowing the empire will always take what it wants. And the weight of leaving his friends with a revolutionary message and the burden of their loss. He calls them together because he needs them. Their company. Their love. Their faith in him. And in all they have created together to carry him through. But he isn't the only one in need. Jesus' friends are all frightened. They are all mourning. They all know what it is to have their lives upended. That's what happened when they first came to follow him. But that earlier shift was born from hope, not despair. None of them can carry the weight of this unknown future alone, so they come together. And here, even when Jesus tells them one of them will betray him, the disciples still turn to each other. They don't hear this accusation and leave each to deal with the news on their own. They don't grow suspicious of one another, at least not to the extent of departing from one another, but rather they lean in. They ask each other, who could it be? They trust each other for this difficult conversation. I wonder if the one who betrayed Jesus did so because it all just got too heavy for him. The pressure he felt, the fear he harbored, his shattered hopes and growing doubts. And he forgot his place in this communion of friends, believing he had to carry it all alone. As Christians today, we share bread and wine in memory of this complicated night. This night when friends showed up for each other, strengthened bonds and broke them, admitted their own need or denied it, shared love, or ran from it. We eat and drink and take this story into our bodies, our own hearts. We do it together. The memory becomes part of us, and these ancestors of our faith become the ones who carry us to. This is a beautifully written story. I heard a person say the other day that the Eucharist was one of their favorite parts of liturgy. That communion is one of their favorite parts of the service. And I see that. I I think that Heidi's probably letting Eve in right now. If there's any trouble, Eve is trying to come on. Um, That communion, the communion table, that taking in the bread and the wine to remind us and remember. And I would just ask the question, what is it that we are to remember when we take the bread and the cup together every week? What is it that 
we are to remember. What are we there remembering? You hear me wax on about what it is that we remember. And I have probably something that I say very similar the same time, the same way every week. And then probably whatever I've been studying that week or whatever is most uppermost on my mind, I probably say that. But I think you can always hear me say that this is a table of forgiveness. And that we come here to remind ourselves that we are a people of forgiveness. That this is an open table. I think it's an interesting point of view that this writer takes that there were people there at that table who just didn't know what to do with themselves anymore. And they start bouncing. They start acting and reacting in different ways. So how does that hit you? Just to hear that the betrayer in this story maybe just had just had enough. Didn't know what to do with himself. Just curious if we can make this more communal today and kind of what thoughts are going on with you. Was it comforting to hear that you're not alone? Was it comforting to hear that as we come to this table over and over and over again, week after week, that no matter what we're going through, we show up with all of our strength. I mean, we are a strong people. <laughs> we are a strong people. You may think of yourself as weak and as weaker than maybe you have been in all of your days but you are still here. True. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, I'll say what struck me as you were reading the narrative of it is, um, you know, because their family, even though he loves Judas like a parent, even though he knows Judas is about to betray him, even though he knows that great hurt is about to come, they still all love each other. That kind of, I've never, I've never really thought about it that way before. Um, and I will say like for me growing up Catholic and going to Catholic school my whole life, you know, we were taught that the transubstantiation, which is the Eucharist, the taking of the Holy Eucharist, the Catholic Church believes that that is the actual body and blood of Christ. Um, but the be the belief is the divine miracle. You know how many miracles um, and and being in awe of the miracle of Jesus. Um, and that part for me has never gone away, being in awe of the miracle. I no longer believe in the transubstantiation, but but that reverence for just who Jesus is and, and, and what happened. Um, and, and that, that reverence is emerging differently now as not a reverence and awe of what he did for me personally. I mean, that's still there, but the, the sin part of it is gone. It's, um, I don't know if I can describe it even yet. It's more of a um, the, the sacrificial example of how we should love without bounds. Um, that's what's emerging: love without boundaries and love without. You're talking about emerging in your own heart of, as yeah, you're that's what's emerging. Yeah, yeah, that's what's yeah. emerging for me as I'm as the deconstruction has happened and the reconstruction, 
I guess, is beginning. It's I just look at all this differently now. But I love the fact that they were close enough to each other and they loved each other enough that even though one of them was going to commit the ultimate betrayal, Jesus still loved him. Mm. You know, so when we hurt each other in our families, because that happens, we still love these people. You know, we still love people who hurt us. So, um, I love that that sentence in verse 21 in my translation. It says, but behold, but take a look, take, look really closely. The hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. Yeah. What a, what a sentence, man. The yeah. hand of my betrayer is with me. With me. What translation are you using, Bonnie? New King James. Okay. My old trusty New King, New <laughs> King James that I keep that I carry with me everywhere. I have my NIV and it says, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Mm, I love that. That just gave me chills. Is with mine. Is mm -hmm. with mine. It's, mm -hmm. it's that close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's that yeah. close. I love the, the way that the whole story begins. It says, when the hour had come, he took his place at the table. We often talk about positionality in our culture right now mm -hmm. and representation and taking one's voice or using one's voice or, you, or taking your place at a, at a space in a, in a position. And just how interesting that was that Jesus had this intuition of where he belonged at the table because if we remember, friends, this was not a celebration for Jesus. This was a meal to remember how God had delivered the people of Israel out of the hand and out from underneath the hand of Pharaoh. This was not Jesus's birthday party. <laughs> this was not Jesus's dinner, man. This was not even about him as far as they were concerned to make a leap that all of the sudden the food that you are serving and the food that you are partaking in and the wine is now all of the sudden all about you you've heard me say this before that what if i stood up at christmas time and it was christmas day it's december 25th it's christmas morning and some of our families like to say happy birthday jesus you know and you hear different ones all across america say happy happy birthday jesus in north south america different different continents are celebrating this one particular day is the birth of of jesus and the little ones are saying that and Moms and dads are waking up early on Christmas morning saying, happy birthday. Yeah, this is the day that we celebrate the birth of God as a human. And what if all of a sudden as pastor, I stood up on that day and I said, hey, it's my birthday. This is about me today. You might say, wait, we didn't know that your birthday was also on December 25th. I would say, oh, no, it's not. No, my birthday is actually June 17th. But today, I wanted to make this day all about me instead. I want to say that this birthday cake is to celebrate me. Well, we'd have something to talk about, wouldn't we? 
Because that's essentially what Jesus did, is he took a tradition and a custom that they had celebrated for hundreds of years and celebrated a certain marker in their history. This was a memorial to their history. This was the Passover, how the angel of death passed over those people um, as the death angel was come, you know, coming to, to, um, to kill and destroy. And it's just fascinating that I have, I have been sitting with this, this um, crash, this collision of what this meal was about and what Jesus made it about. Um, and for a long time, and I, I, I would just ask you to suspend your, suspend your disbelief or suspend your need for certainty right now, just suspend it and let yourself be kind of caught in air between what this actually meant and how bold it was. How bold it was for Jesus to see, because the key is right there at the beginning of the scripture. So when the hour had come, he took his place. He took his place. Remember over there in Luke, at the first part of Luke, when Jesus had come out from the wilderness experience. So we have the baptism experience, then we have him in the wilderness, then he goes what? He goes into the synagogue. So we go from the baptism, the wilderness, the synagogue. He stands up in the synagogue, takes the scroll, finds the place in Isaiah where it is written, Behold, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, the setting at liberty the captives that are done. He goes on and on and on and on, and he sets the scroll down, stopping short um, of and the day of vengeance for our God. He stops short. He doesn't mention that in that particular text. And he sits down and he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Bold, everyone around listening, and had listened to him teach many times before, thought, what kind of man is this? What manner of man is this? That he would put himself in the scripture. Jesus, I would submit to you all today that Jesus found himself in the scripture. And he took his place. Because as we know, and what Bob would, would teach us, is that all of the texts, what we believe is that all of the texts were always and have forever been talking about God, the God incarnate, the God in Jesus, have all been pointing to him. Not to only the shadow that the light casts over the object of a ritual or a custom or a prescription, not just that shadow, because those are the shadow of things to come. The thing that is the thing is the sun. The sun, the light, is the real thing. That's what we're looking for, not the shadow of ritual, of a dinner, a feast. These are all ways to get us to see the light, <laughs> to see the light. The, the, the shadow is cast by the object of the ritual. You see what I'm saying there in that metaphor of light? That these the hour had come luke twenty two fourteen says the hour had come and he sat down he took his place at the table he took i mean man that is just fascinating he took his place where he always belonged even before he was born in the ritual of the passover he took his place at the table i mean it's kind of deep it's kind of big 
I would invite you to, to join me in the conversation because I've just kind of set us up here because it's both um, a really scandalous and interesting thing in the way in which Jesus did take his place at the table, but it predates just his natural life. Like he, like he, the Lord Jesus, the Lord God took God's place at the table of ritual, of memory, of Passover, of deliverance. God, God, God's self took God's place at the table. So isn't that, I mean, for me, this is just an, uh, wow. Because it takes it out of just Jesus being a certain age, trying to make a point. It actually takes it out of time for me and makes it, it has always and ever always been about Yeshua, the saving one, the Passover one. And we celebrate these things that we think are, oh, this is just a birthday or this is just a sacrament or this is just the Eucharist or this is just something we do um, to uh, punctuate <laughs> what would otherwise be life's run-on sentence. This is just what we do. This is ritual. This is Wednesday. But then you have someone who knows their place, knows where they came from, knows who they are, and knows where they're going, who is able to boldly assert themselves in the space. This is, this is me. It's always been about me. Yeah. The chat says someone saying that the the scripture taste and see that the Lord is good is running through her heart. Psalm 34. Yeah. I was just reading that yesterday, Kelly. That was my scripture yesterday morning. Beautiful. And part of my authentic relating um, experience of trying to go deeper with human beings in space, like it's this curiosity of what can we be today together that we have never been before? What can we be today together as we come to the table without certainty and with curiosity and with an uh, a readiness to go, oh, I never saw it like that. To, be, to have the impression to be surprised, to be enlightened. I would invite you to do that. I would invite you to come to the table as a child. Come to this moment to take your place as a child. See what you can see. So share with me, what do you see? I see, um, I see Jesus taking his place at the, at the table. And I see the disciples as the parts of us that are there with him um the different aspects the different parts of us the different aspects of our personality the um the different pieces that make us who we are and the disciples never had to prompt christ to take his place at that table and Christ does that in our lives anyway. And the thing that screams out to me with this is the Christ comes and sits at the table with us. He takes 
his place as being in charge. And even in his place being in charge, there is always a piece of us ready to betray, ready to swap out the power of Christ with something different. And Christ is yet there holding that part of us in his hand, in his hands, um, that that piece of us is natural. It's there and it's okay. I think I see what you're saying. I think I see what you're saying that you're, I want to see if I got it right that you see the table as all the parts of a being like all of those people at the table, like you're kind of going back to the IFS language that those are all parts of us. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Um, I, I tried to, to like, you know, make that connection there. So yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for walking on the same bridge with me. Yeah. I caught it. it was, that was good. It was good. So the betrayer parts of us are always are are with mm -hmm. the Lord, the Lord's hand and the betrayer hand of us are with are together with and invited to mm -hmm. the table. Yes. Yeah. No, knowingly invited to the table, um, knowingly loved by the power that that rules that table. And even though the rest of the parts of you, the rest of the disciples may be wondering, you know, who, you know, wh who's going to be doing this, whatever, uh, I would never do that. You know, we need to excommunicate the, the part of us that, that would say, that would question Christ, that would turn Christ in. Um, the, the rest of us that says that that person is not worthy mm. is, the, is the one person who is holding Christ's hand at the table the one part of you that is closest to God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think I really, I'm really getting it. it like gets a little bit deeper. The more you keep saying that, I just keep going deeper on that, that part of ourself. I think in that exiled part that the exiles of ourselves that we have not allowed to come to the table of our life. Huge man. Like the, the, parts of ourselves that we we do not wish to see at this table <laughs> go ahead kelly yeah i was gonna say i took it a little bit more i guess simple simply and practically um but like i see in my in my head i can visualize the table you know what does the table look like what does it smell like what does it feel like? And Jesus is at the table. So I'm invited to the table with Jesus. And, um, you know, and I'm a big Enneagram girl and I'm an Enneagram too. So I'm like the helper. So how do I, in That's my gift, right? Shocker, right? Um, right? But how do I help Jesus make that table inviting for everyone who wants to come how do i make it look beautiful how do i make it feel safe how do i present enough that everyone can taste and see that the lord is good with all their senses with their 
you know, taste, smell, touch. How, how do I, little, little old me, do that in my sphere of influence? That's where I took that. And even the betrayer, just like Hank said, you know, that part of us who is the betrayer. Even the betrayer. How do I love the betrayer but still make that table feel safe? If that makes sense. Mm. You know, just as you said that, I was curious if we as a people reading these scriptures if we have ever identified with the betrayer right i wonder if that's just always been the one we don't want to look at and the one we're glad we're not like um Okay, oh, I just had a thought though. You know, yeah. if I'm putting a modern day spin on this, because Judas felt remorse, right? He felt really remorseful about what he did and he unalived himself. And so, good word. People, people who hurt someone else and are hurting, how do we make that table still safe enough to where? People are not unaliving themselves, if that makes any sense. Never thought about Judas that way, but Judas was somebody that Jesus loved and was worthy of love. He was worthy of love. He was worthy of the effort. And if I put a modern day spin on him, his life would be more worth more than him unaliving himself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Lucas, go ahead. Yeah, so Kelly, I think that the two words that come to mind or the two thoughts that come to mind with like, how do we make people feel like they can still come to the table and not have to unalive themselves is for us to show up authentic to the table because people need to see that they're not alone in their weakness and their sin and their dismay and their doubt, all of it. We're all struggle. We all have betrayed god uh, maybe not in the sense of turned our back on him but we are we're sinful beings sin is the opposite sin is opposing of god just by our own very nature we are betrayers of the spirit and so we have to reconcile that through through christ we are reconciled um but at least we started out <laughs> that way um so you know being authentic so that people feel like they can connect and they can let their guard down and they can be honest and then also intentionally, um, you have to sometimes go out of your way or be very intentional about including others because, I mean, think about all the people we pass every day that we don't pull in, you know, we just pass. And you never know when it's going to be that one person that needs it the most that day, that you were the only person that had that saw them, that had that wasn't within arm's reach of that person. Um, and Amber just did it for me the other day, you know, she's like, Lucas, where are you? Coffee theology. And I was like, ah, and so I came and it turned out to be an incredibly beautiful, heartwarming time, you know? And so I'm thankful that, that she thinks about that. She thinks about other people and she takes that step. Um, but yeah. And then the other, the other part was that we tend to put our guards up when people hurt us, right. Whenever, and also whenever we feel like we've hurt God or we've, We've got this thing that we can't confess, right? The, the thing that's pushing us away from God. 
is the very thing that needs to draw us closer. We got to push through that lie of, oh, God doesn't want you at his table. You don't deserve to be at his table. You don't have a place at his table. Do you really? Yes, I do. Because this very thing in my heart that makes me want to run from him pulls me to run towards him because no matter what, he's there with open arms. And that's something that I've seen all throughout my life is no matter what I do, no matter what people say about me, no matter what I struggle with, I know that God has my back and I know that he's there fully forgiving, fully faithful. And that's the one thing I can count on. So I think we have to share that with other people and let them know that they're not too far gone um, to be, to receive the grace and mercy of God. Hmm. I think I see what you're saying there. I think. I, I, I want think that I kind of faith. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, Hank. I said, I want that kind of faith, Lucas, for sure. So throw, throw some of that at me. I mean, y'all, like in my head, like I can picture like this beautiful, long, like vibrant colored table, like a turquoise or a pink or like that vibrant, beautiful, shiny kind of iridescent purple. Yes, I like those girly colors. And and it's long and it's in the front yard or in the street where anybody can come to it. And it's got all this beautiful, inviting food and drink that won't make, you know, it's got a little bit of everything so anybody can taste and see that the Lord is good. And Jesus is right there in the middle of it where, and there's a space there for all of us left. Everybody's leaving a space there for anybody who wants to come close. What a beautiful picture. That's a beautiful picture. I think I see it. Go ahead, Norma. I have an issue, I'm sorry. I have an issue with the terminology betrayer because I'm a son. Um, issuing coming to the table, there's none there for me because I'm a son. And I don't live out of my, it's a duality, I guess you would call it. Positionally, I'm not sinful. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I'm not sinful. I have his nature. Hence, through the renewing of the mind, but yet I have areas where I miss it. But yet I still come back to, I'm a son. Am I missing what you guys are saying? No, say say a little bit more, Norma. Say say what you're saying, like, like positionally. You... Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no I, I was just I was gonna see if I was getting what you were saying, like. Were you specifically responding to the piece about it? Could we identify as the betrayer in this story? Yes. I've never seen myself as Judas, whether false or not, uh, because I fall back into I'm a son. And as I grow in the Lord, I guess you can say I'm a less of a betrayer, but I don't like the term betrayer. Go ahead, Bob. Take it away. Is it okay? What do you mean? Is it okay? Are you are you are, are you okay if I step in now? We, you're always welcome to step in. So, I have of all the various areas of the scripture that I've studied, the the communion. The reason I did one of my teachings a few years ago on it because I've spent thousands and thousands of hours on this. 
I was always fascinated by it. Even back at ORU, a guy did a paper, our senior, our final paper for um, systematic theology, answering certain questions. And he, uh, one of them was on the issue. We've, we've kind of had discussions about back and forth. Was this a Passover meal and yada, yada. And again, that's something that I'm, that's not at all what I'm wanting to look at here. The main thing is that was one of the things, even back then, um, 35 years ago, I was fascinated when the guy, when I listened to his paper, because we all read them out loud in our, in our thing and they're long. Um, and there's, it's, it's one of the most concentrated images of the fractal nature of the kingdom of God in all of scripture. There is every type, even though it's only one feast, every type of feast is, is attached to it, so to speak. Right. And the imagery the fulfill the multiple fulfillments, the fractal fulfillments, going back to the garden, there will be a son, a seed from you who will come and he will be the serpent crusher. He'll, you know, his heel will be bruised, but he will crush the head of the serpent. That's all also what, when Jesus said, and when he took his place and this in the full yeah, so time, beautiful. And all of these, all of the feasts and what they represented. And again, as you mentioned, Jesus saying that actually everything, you know, everybody thinks that Jesus was having a celebration of this Passover week. Which that's one of the keys, by the way, they celebrated. It's called the week of Passover. Most of their feasts are of certain length. Passovers for an entire week. So any meal during the Pesach is Passover. Then there's different meals within that week. And that's where some of the discrepancies come from that, that if you don't understand that, and it's right there in the scriptures in the Old Testament, how that each one was celebrated. And that's one of the major things. And then that's when everything gets confusing to some people. But it's very simple when you look at it all in the minds of the way all of these people would have understood it which was a Jewish mindset that they had lived in for thousands of years. It was, there was no confusion of what they were doing. But the interesting thing is many people think it's a memorial to, to celebrate what happened at the exodus of Egypt. But in reality, Jesus says, no, the celebration of the exodus at Egypt was actually a commemoration looking forward to the coming of the Messiah who would free them from the ultimate Egypt, which is actually ourselves and the trap that we'd be, we'd come into through what Adam did of, of choosing to be, try to be who we are separate from the father. It's like this ultimate time machine though, because yes. they were thinking they were celebrating backward. It's exactly. It, I, it we was, were celebrating forward we, and we today stuff. we today in the in this generation have the simplest the easiest time being able to comprehend a lot of what the scripture says because of the language of time travel in movies we have so many things that we can see and and it makes sense that um it makes more sense when we think of those things so 
when Jesus is sitting and he, taking his place, and then shortly after this, I think it's um, uh, 22, 18, he talks about how as him being the leader, he says, and look at what I'm doing. I'm here serving as if I'm the youth of all of you. Right. And again, so again, yeah. he keeps trying to reiterate the king, this kingdom that's coming and is, this, is, this is establishing it now center of the entire, it's the singularity within all time that everything else is moved in front and behind it is all service or it's centered on service. I'm serving you. But I think if we could, I, I just, I want to get you back to where the betrayer was. You yes. Know, the betrayer so one of the main, yeah, just, just that, just that little is piece. The betrayer. And when we look at all the fractal yeah, things, what the betrayer represents it's seen in every single part of the Old Testament. And what, what I wanted to focus on quickly was Abraham. In Abraham's life, the betrayer, who the betrayer is, again, and I, watch the chosen. I believe they're, they're, they're setting up Judas correctly to show you who he was that was so vitally different than all the rest of the disciples as a Sikar, as a political activist. And that was the same. It's somebody who wants to do, knows what the kingdom of God is about, understands what the nature of Christ is. They think they do anyway. And then they try and force the hand doing based on what they believe it is by doing things to transform the world into that rather than letting Christ be the one who serves in, from the inside out. And so in Abraham's life, it was what brought about the greatest tragedy in his life was actually bearing the son through Hagar. And so he tried to, of his own nature, he betrays God, his wife and everyone, by attempting, he's, he, he becomes impatient. Just like here, Judas has been with him for a time and finally he grows impatient, goes to them and says, look, I will just turn him in because this guy's he keeps re resisting being placed as king. He had just watched it. When you look in the stories, you recognize he had just, Jesus, they sought to take him as king and Jesus wouldn't let them and he left because he said it wasn't time. Now it is, Judas is like, ooh. And that's why even when Jesus says, what you do, go and do quickly. He's like, I am on the right track. He thinks it's a confirmation. And so what happens with Abraham in his betrayal of his wife and God and letting God work do be the one who does the work. He attempts to do it in his own flesh. And what does he do? He brings forth the son that to this day, we have the two sons still fighting throughout the entire world, Jew, the Jewish population and Islam. And so that is the type and shadow there. When you try and attempt to do something because you grow impatient with the methodology of God, which is to work from the inside out, Jesus is going to serve and, and woo us to the Father because it's through the loving kindness of God that our minds are changed, that we come to metanoia, repentance, where we change our mind and begin to think about ourselves the way the Father does. When we try and do it in the natural and just think, I know what Jesus is all about, and then we try and manifest that and manipulate it and go and, and corroborate with even our enemies, those that we perceive as our partial enemies, because, man, we got to get this thing going. That's the same thing, again, what happened in Abraham. And it's hap it happened over and over and over and over in, in all the stories. The story of AI is the same thing. And you see it in the Hebrew. And actually, there's little hints poetically 
these hints that you see in the words and the and the verbs and all these things and so it's it's a it's a it's a thing that happens again and again that's what what that story of judas is all about and the beautiful thing exactly as hank said i'm like yes hank so so sees that jesus is most tender with the very betrayer in my book the betrayers that's the point everyone who betrays god actually comes and covers them in the most beautiful way and anyone who thinks that Judas is in hell tormented forever, he's not. When Jesus said, woe to the man who does the betraying, he's talking about, in the Greek, it's talking about his heart is so going to condemn him when he sees what he did, he's going to wish he had never been born and he unbirths himself. He and the lives of, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Lady but he that doesn't. Heard that. He's, one of, he's one of those whose names are written on the, the I can, temple that is to come. So. I can probably take, um, we need to, we have, every, I have people texting that they have to jump out and go. And especially the person moderating the meeting has to go to another meeting. So I want to just um, say there's so much in this table. There's always has been so much in the communion moment and your perspectives <clears throat> are welcome and the uh, I don't know that we actually answered the, the betrayer. Am I a betrayer? Am I a son? That could be something we might be able to jump back into next week. I think that was a beautiful setup and segue, Norma. Um, you know, and it just, I, you know, all of the the purpose and the the um, the foundation for this this call is to not come with um, so much of a certainty, but with a curiosity to to have a, an availability for all of us to allow ourselves to get our minds wrapped around these things and these truths and to um, listen to the wisdom that is coming forth from each one of us each one of you have a wisdom and have a spirit you have the holy spirit on the inside of you who is leading you into all truth and you have a wisdom and a mystery on the inside and each one of us come to this table and we all belong there and so I say yes to this communion and yes to this um, this evolving conversation. And for now, we're going to cut the, the recording and then we'll take some time in the after the after show, the after party. God bless you as this word continues to grow in your heart.